We stand in reverence to God's word, reminding us that this book is different than any other book on the planet. This is the holy book of God, the Bible. We're just going to read one verse, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, and we'll read it together, uh, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the word of God says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible verse. So much truth that we could take from this verse. So much that... We need to know, we need to be reminded of, challenged by. And I pray that today your eternal word would go forth to those that are here, to those that may hear in the future, and that Christ would be lifted up and people would see the logic, the reasonableness of faith in you and in your Son. We pray you give me the words to say and give us ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. What a powerful verse we've read. The book of Isaiah written to the children of Israel. The first three chapters of Isaiah are a scathing rebuke of the nation of Israel. These were God's people. They were his chosen representatives uh, for the time. And yet they had been corrupted by the sins of the people around them and their own desire for pleasure more than the desire for righteousness. And in this verse here, we have God reminding them that salvation is available. There is a cleansing available for those who are in sin. We see the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet. Uh, Scarlet is a, a deep red uh, they shall be as white as snow. And so we see the, the difference drawn, the contrast between fresh snow, the beautiful white of fresh snow, versus something that is deeply stained with, let's say, blood. If you've ever gotten a scrape or a cut and gotten blood on anything that's white, uh, first of all, it's immediately obvious. And then secondly, it's very hard to get out. But the Bible says, even though there's a deep stain like scarlet, it can be made white, but not just white, new. You know, white snow is new snow. A snow that's around for very long doesn't stay white, does it? So there's a a clean, a, a cleanliness, a cleansing that is offered And a newness, of course, pointing to the new birth. And then it says, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The beautiful whiteness of fresh, clean wool. And the concept here is, you're dirty. You've got sin. You've got the stains of sin. And that crimson 
deep, dark stains, but God is offering a cleansing and a newness to those who come to him. And that's what the gospel's about. In the New Testament, we see the promise of the gospel, the good news, that God, through his son Jesus Christ, is offering a cleansing for the sins of mankind. That no matter where you've, done, where you've been, what you've done, what skeletons live in the closet, there is a cleansing available for you. There is a newness available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to take the message this morning, though, and focus on the first part of the verse. What an interesting introduction to this verse. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. This is an invitation to reason, an invitation for a discussion, to lay out the arguments for God and for salvation and for cleansing. And I want to preach this morning on this subject, the reasonable gospel. The reasonable gospel, or we could call it the logic of the gospel. Have you ever heard Christians accused of blind faith? Uh, You just have blind faith. Blind faith. And this accusation, this attack, is meant to say that Christians have no logical basis for their faith. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, God comes to the world and says, come to me. I invite you to come and let's have a logical conversation. And we're going to reason together, saith the Lord. God invites men to come and reason through the gospel. So many people today don't seem to want to even consider God. They have their mind made up. Well, there's no God. Well, says who? Well, you know. There's all the evidence. What evidence? Well, you know. Well, no, you better know. Because if, if you're saying he's not real, then you better know why. Well, there's no Jesus wasn't. You better know why. But a lot of people will go into eternity without ever spending 15 minutes sincerely thinking about their soul and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a shame that is. Imagine that you were accused of a crime. You're in the courtroom. You're standing before the judge. You take your seat at the defendant's table. A prosecutor that has never met you begins to make accusation of things that are crazy. I mean, if he just knew you, he wouldn't even be saying these things, but... Accusation after accusation, falsehood after falsehood. Then, this prosecutor who's never met you, studied you, knows anything about you, calls witnesses who don't know you and don't know anything about you. They may have heard some things and they they may have heard someone say something who said something. These are people that you've never met. They don't know you. You don't know them. And they just start making accusations as well. And you're sitting there thinking, well, at least when I get up to give my case, I can refute that, and I can refute that, and that's ridiculous, that's provably false. That'll be easy to to debunk. And then after the prosecution rests, the judge stands up to render his verdict. 
Whoa! You might even cry out, breaking the protocol of the court. Whoa! Excuse me, Your Honor! The judge begins to pronounce you guilty without ever hearing your side of the story. Would that be fair? Wouldn't be right. In this analogy, people are putting God on trial. People who don't know God are making all kinds of claims about God. They call to record other people who don't know God, citing this poll and that study and this and that, but they don't know God either. And you as the judge have to decide whether you're going to believe God or whether you're going to believe those who, <clears throat> who are attacking God. It would be foolish, dear friend, for you to make a judgment without ever hearing God's side of the, the story, wouldn't it? Most people are going to live and die without ever hearing God's side. It's impossible to make a good decision if you don't have all the information. Would you agree with that? Sure. And so it's incumbent upon you to hear God out. I talk to people and they'll say, prove God exists. And I'll say, well, in this scenario, you're the prosecutor. So the burden of proof is on you to prove that he doesn't exist. That's like you come to me saying, prove to me that you've never murdered anybody. Well, how do I do that? Give an accounting of everywhere I've ever been, everything I've ever done. No, the burden of proof's on you. And a lot of people making accusations about God, trying, they'll even come to you and say, prove to me God exists, prove to me, prove to me. And you need to have the confidence to say, no, you're the prosecutor, make your case. The burden of proof's not on God, it's not on me, it's on you. And by the way, the consequences lie with you too, because if you want to reject God, you're the one that's going to have to live with that consequence for all eternity. So it's, it's up to you, dear friend, to give God a hearing. To investigate what God says. What is God's side of the story? Man, years ago, he was a reporter. And he had reported a lot of things. And his wife had become a Christian. And he was an atheist. And he said, well, I'm going to use my journalistic expertise to prove to my wife and my family that Jesus did not do what he said he did and is not the person he claimed to be. He began to interview people. He knew the questions to ask. He knew the people to talk to. And over a period of time that man became a Christian. And he wrote a book about it called The Case for Christ. And he says, I started out trying to disprove God, but the more I looked into it, I realized that I was the one that was wrong. Think about that. Do you have that courage? 
Do you have the courage to give God a true hearing? I heard a man just a, a few minutes of his testimony some months ago. He was known for uh, debunking conspiracy theories. And this conspiracy would happen and he would do the investigation and, and show why that wasn't true. And he gained notoriety by explaining away conspiracy theories and showing that they were either not true, that these were not conspiracies, or by proving that they were true, he would do the investigation and find out, no, this really did happen like this. And he was given his testimony and he said, one day I realized the greatest conspiracy in the world is the conspiracy about Jesus Christ. Amen. How did this man who lived 2,000 years ago, still have 2 billion followers on earth today. How's that possible? And the conspiracy, if, if what the Jews say is true, he, he died and they snuck in and stole his body. This is the greatest conspiracy in history because 2,000 years later, they're still going strong. And he began to investigate this. And I want to... I want to show everybody the truth about Jesus Christ, that he's not who he said he was, and, and that people's faith is in vain. And he said kind of sheepishly, now I believe in Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Think about that. And the person looking at him was like, you? I know. Now I believe in Jesus. Now, the stories. We could go on for the rest of our time this morning. Scientists who went out to prove that God didn't create the earth, that it's all here by a series of profitable mutations over billions of years, and they believe in Jesus today. Amen. People that looked into how could a loving God allow all the suffering and and if, if there is a God, He can't be good, and, and all of these things, and they look into it, and they believe in Jesus today. You see, folks, the only way that Satan can guarantee that you won't believe in Jesus is to keep you from ever learning the truth about Him. Because what you'll find is if you have the courage to give God an honest hearing, the gospel not only makes sense, it's the only thing that makes sense. One of the big issues people take with Jesus is he claims to be the only way to heaven. Some people in the world today don't mind you being spiritual as long as your spirituality has no teeth, as long as it doesn't really take root in your life. They don't mind you being religious as long as your religion doesn't create any real conviction in your life. There's one thing that the world can't stand. When I say the world, I'm talking about the world system. The one thing it can't stand is for you to say, I believe Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. Amen. The only way to heaven. And now they've got a problem. Why? Because it's the absolute truth. It's absolutely true. Religious experience is not the same as a logical examination of God's word. So some people can say, well, I used to be a Catholic, and I know that it's not true. But did you study the Bible as a Catholic, or did you just listen to what the priests and the nuns say? There's a big difference between you seeing it yourself and listening to someone else. That's why one of the things that makes our church different is we encourage you, bring a Bible. We'll buy you one if you don't have one. We want you to look at it. My goal today is to whet your appetite so you go this week and study God for yourself. Well, I was a... I was a Mormon, I was a Jehovah's Witness, I was a this, I was a that. I have some religious experience. The problem is people with religious experience, they either hold on to their religious experiences or they find out that it's empty and they become the most ardent atheists there are. But a religious experience is not the same as a logical examination of God's Word. And that's what we encourage you to do. You say, well, I've got a lot of instruction. I've, I've been to school for a long time. And nowadays you go to school for 12 years and then you go for four more. And then if you're in some instances, you go for four more to graduate school. And then for some instances, you go to four more for certain types of things, and then, well, we want to get our master's, we want to get our, our doctorate, maybe we get two doctorates, maybe three doctorates, and, and uh, we, we have all of this instruction. But I remind you this morning that years of secular instruction is not enough to discount 2,000 years of history and billions of testimonies regarding Christ and His gospel. The only way that you can know whether God's real and His Son is the Savior and this book is true is by accepting the invitation of God to come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. So I ask a question this morning. Are you willing to honestly consider the gospel? Or have you made up your mind about eternity without ever hearing God's side of the story? And if you've already made up your mind without an honest hearing from God, then you're no better than the judge who is going to convict you without ever hearing your defense. In fact, even more so. Because once you start looking into these things, you're going to find out that there is a lot of things in this world around you that you've never connected. This thing I see every day, these experiences, the very world that I live in, all are connected to the God 
who's trying to have this conversation with me. There's a lot of things we don't see. There's a lot of things we don't connect. So this morning, let me give you just a, a very simple and brief understanding of the reasonableness of the gospel. Isaiah 118 is so powerful. God invites us to come, to reason together. You give your reasons, He gives His reasons. You give your reasons, He gives His reasons. And there is no question which you can ask that God doesn't have the answer. There's no thing that you could wonder about where God cannot soothe your desire to understand and give you peace. One of the saddest things about an existence without God is ultimately, no matter how they sugarcoat it, no matter how they wrap it in morality and purpose, ultimately, if you believe there is no God, that means you're here for no reason. Your life has no purpose. And when you die, your life meant nothing. And you go nowhere. That's sad. I have heard atheists say, I don't want to live in the world that I think is true. I heard one prominent atheist say, he was asked, would you rather live next to atheists or Christians? He said, oh, I'd rather live in the neighborhood of Christians, absolutely. <laughs> he said, and the guy was kind of like, what? He's like, well, yeah, Christians have this kind of code of ethics, and I'd much rather live next to them than, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely not. It's ridiculous. It's a farce. But I'd rather live next to Christians. And it's like, you, you have this cognitive dissidence is the big word. You have this, these things that don't make sense. Because it's very obvious that Christianity has a positive effect on the world. And even in our nation, we live every day, even though our nation is, is walking away from, from Christ and His Word in obvious ways, we still have the vestiges of blessing that come from a culture based upon Christianity. And Many of the problems you see in the world today are a result of walking away from that. And the more people that walk away from that, the more that's going to increase. But they can't draw those lines because the Bible says they're ever learning but never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. It's possible for you to have so much information but not know how to analyze it properly to come to the right conclusions. And this is the world we live in today. Never has there been more information available to the average person in the world. And never has mankind been so absent of wisdom. You ever wonder what happened to common sense? <laughs> you know, the old timers used to say common sense isn't that common. The farmers would call it horse sense. I don't really know why. But uh, say, oh, you don't have any horse sense. I hope not. <laughs> you know, what, what does that even mean? And they were talking about horses have, uh, they're, they're very intuitive. And they, 
they respond to the things around them. They're, they're, they've got a, a kind of a wisdom about them. Uh, and that's what they were saying is, is you don't have any common sense. You live in the world, but you don't understand it. And we can say today that uh, common sense is not very common. It's a form of wisdom. But this verse reminds us of the cleansing power of the gospel. It reminds us there's no sin so deep, no stain so dark, no past so sinful that the shed blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse it. And Jesus can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. I love that. You ever notice that today, it's almost like some people don't understand the, the concept of redemption of forgiveness, of growth. If you said something 30 years ago that they don't like today, they make no room for growth. They make no room for for redemption. It's just you have to be punished now for things you did 30 years ago because there's no path for redemption. And in a godless world, there is no path of redemption. But the Bible says there is something called redemption. And you don't get redeemed, you don't get saved, you don't get forgiven because you deserve it or because you've earned it. It's through the grace and mercy of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me show you some verses here uh, as we look through the Scriptures. We're going to use our Bibles (laughs) here. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We'll show you the famous verse 16. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the Word of God says, For God so loved the world. Hey, wait a minute. The Bible says there's not only a God who made everything, there's not only a, a, a being that's so far above us and higher than us, but that He loves us. It's amazing to me that the people who don't believe in God are very willing to believe in aliens that seeded our planet and made everything that is. And they won't believe in God They'll believe in aliens, but one thing they can't say is that these aliens are benevolent. Next time someone says, oh, the the world's made by aliens and aliens are going to come someday. Will those aliens love us? And they'll look at you like, what are you talking about? You better hope they do. Now what the Bible says, there is an almighty God who loves us. (laughs) For God so loved us the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. This is the price of His love. He gave the very best He had. And His Son willingly went to the cross. The word gave there speaks of the death of and burial and resurrection of the cross. The Creator took on the form of the creation. Life surrendered to death only to live Again, the Almighty surrendered to the, uh, the, the, the finite creation. The one who was sinless allowed sinful men to crucify Him. This is the depth and breadth of God's love. He gave His only begotten Son. Why? That whosoever believeth in Him. is are God's terms. If you want to come to me, God says you don't have to bring money. You don't have to do a lifetime of good things. 
He says, if you want to come to me, you'll come to me through faith. You will believe what I say and accept me at my word. What happens if I do that? The whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The word perish here speaks of hell, eternity without God in the tormenting fires of damnation. But have everlasting life. That speaks of heaven living in eternal bliss. There's a reason this is the most famous verse in the Bible. This verse describes God's love. It it declares God's love. It describes Christ's sacrifice. It defines God's terms. It decries man's sin. It details God's gift. This, dear friend, is the path of life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's beautiful, isn't it? I had an atheist tell me one time, I wish I could believe that. And I told him, well, if you investigate the truth, you can. He was talking about blind faith. I wish I could believe that, but I just, I don't have that kind of blind faith. Oh, friend, faith in Christ and belief in God is not blind. It's the most logical choice when you look at all the evidence. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Let's look at that verse. 1 John chapter 2, closer to the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And look at verse 2. And he is the propitiation. It's a big word that means covering for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is the one who can... Save the world from her sins. Jesus Christ died for the whole world, the Bible says. The Bible teaches that the Savior didn't just die for the world, although He's speaking of individuals, but the Bible drills down even deeper and He says, no, I I died for the individual. Look at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, chapter 2, just turn back a a few books. Hebrews chapter 2. And the beautiful verse 9. The theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's teaching the, God here teaching the Hebrews that Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Judaism, a a system of religion that uh, the Jews had grasped, but they never saw that uh, and accepted the Messiah when he came in promises to God that had made to them. They, they didn't get it. And so here, God explaining to the Hebrews about the, the supremacy of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He became a man for the suffering of death. But He's crowned with glory and honor. He rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father. Why? That He, by the grace of God, should taste death for who? Every man. So watch this. The Bible says, God died for the world. And that means everybody. But just in case you misunderstand, then God says He died for every man. 
Every man, woman, and child who's ever lived, Jesus Christ tasted death for them. And in a miracle of time and space, at that one moment on the cross, God, through foreknowledge, knew everybody that had lived up until then. He knew everybody that was ever going to live. He knew all their sins that they were ever going to sin. And in that moment on the cross, Jesus Christ paid for every sin that would ever be committed. And now today, salvation is available to anybody who will come to Christ in faith, saying, I believe who you are, I know what you did, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and salvation is available. I like Revelation chapter 22. Look at the last chapter in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, the Bible closes with an invitation. Revelation chapter 22 Verse 17, and the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, say, Come. See, the Holy Spirit draws, the Father draws me, and the Holy Spirit convicts him. The church is God's mouthpiece in this age, telling people to come. That's why we go soul winning. That's why we have evangelism. That's why we have bus routes and nursing homes and prison ministries. Telling people, you can come to Jesus. That's what I'm doing today. It's telling you, you can come to Jesus today and receive forgiveness. So the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let, uh, and let him that heareth say, come. Well, if you're hearing what, uh, what, what God is saying here, then you need to say, yeah, let's, let's go to Jesus. Look what it says. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will. Let him take of the water of life freely. The water of life is salvation, forgiveness. It's the free gift of God. Christ paid for it. It's available. But here's the question. Are you thirsty? If you're not thirsty, you won't make any effort to get a drink. But if you're thirsty, I wonder if there's someone here today. I wonder if there's someone under the sound of my voice. That says, man, I'd, I'd like to be cleansed. I'd like to be forgiven. I'd like to go to heaven. I don't want to die in my sin. As a 16-year-old boy, that's the decision I made. I said, I don't want to die without God. I don't want to die without Christ in my sin. I don't want to go to hell. And after a service a lot like this one, I talked to a man and he showed me basically the things I just showed you and gave me some final details about how to trust in Jesus with, with my heart. And I was born again. My life's never been the same. Jesus died for everyone. Salvation is available to all who will call. This is good news for Christians. That means we cannot witness to the wrong person. Everyone's a candidate for salvation. God says, come now and let us reason together. You say, wait a minute, I, I was told that reason was the enemy of faith and Christianity. No. God's not afraid of logic. Matter of fact, he's the author of it. God's not afraid of reason. 
He's the one that gave you the ability to reason. He's the one that made the world make sense and function the way it does and gave you the ability to see that the world makes sense and functions so that you would notice him in it all. It's the Lord inviting us to bring reason into a discussion about salvation. The word reason in Isaiah 118 means to argue, to justify, to reason. So God says, bring me your reasons. Why don't you believe in me? And then let God give you the answer. And he'll do that through his word. He'll do that through his spirit. He'll do that sometimes through a preacher who can give you logical information and just kind of show you how the, the dots connect. But the realization comes from you, and whenever you get it, it's like the light bulb moment. It's like the lights come on. Wow, I've never seen that before. It was all right in front of me, but now I see it. And God says, you bring me your reasons and I'll give you my reasons. But a lot of people, they bring God their reasons and stop the conversation. How foolish that would be. This verse commands us to think logically through the problem of sin and salvation. There's a, a lot of talk today about why all the crime, why all the sin, why, why are carjackings up and, and shoplifting's up and, and all of this. Why, why are families disintegrating? Why are cultures uh, struggling? Why are wars and rumors of wars? Why, why is there such deceit and lying and fighting for power and, and all of these things? Why? The Bible says, let's logic through the problem of sin. And what you'll find is God will give you the reason and it's like, wow, that makes perfect sense. And then God says, let's talk about the solution. The solution's not more money. The solution's not more laws and rules and legislations. The solution isn't a charismatic leader. The solution is found in the very God that you might be denying. And His very Son you may be rejecting. Salvation is reasonable. Salvation is logical. Accepting the Savior is sensible. It's the smart thing to do. Think about this. If there is a God, and there is, and if there is a thing called evil and sin, and there is, And if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to die on the cross for our sins, and He did. And if He not only died, but three days later He rose Himself from the dead to prove to Himself that He was the Son of God, and He did. And if that same God says, I've paid your debt. There's nothing you can do to earn it, but I'll give it to you freely. And he will. Only a fool 
would look at that and say, no, I don't want that. You see, it's rejecting Christ that's illogical. It's the disbelief in God that doesn't make sense. Walk outside today. Close your eyes. Feel the warmth of the sun on your face. Feel the wind blow through your hair. Feel your, if you have any. Look around you. And what makes more sense? That you and everything around you is here by an absolute accident and means nothing. Or that there's a being bigger than you who made everything and put you in it and there's a reason you're alive. Go out tonight and look at the stars. And look at that vast expanse. Oh, there must be aliens out there somewhere. (laughs) Or you could look at that and say, wow, God did all that. It's amazing. And if you want to get scientific about it, this planet, the perfect distance away from a very special sun, If we were 1% closer, 1% further away, we'd all freeze or burn. Our sun is a very unique sun. When you look at all the other suns that we know about in the universe, only a specific type of star could support life. If the sun was any younger or any older, we wouldn't be here. The list goes on and on. From the vast expanses of the cosmos to the, 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 the minuscule a tininess of, of a, a cell and the atoms, everything working in mathematical precision. Is it all just an accident? Is it all just a mistake? Is it meaningless? Or is there a God who says that I so love the world? I gave my only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dear friend, the gospel is the logical choice. It's the only thing that makes sense in this world of chaos and craziness. And if you don't believe that, then let's have a conversation. Because that's what God invited us to do. So let's sit down. You tell me your arguments and reasons. And let me point to you God's. Nobody, 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 nobody should ever go into eternity without hearing God's side of the story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've heard today. So much information left out of our world today. So many things hidden, obscured, maligned. But Lord, you, you make sense. 
And we praise you for doing so. Only you can bring peace in a world of chaos and a heart of turmoil. You bring peace. You give joy. And I pray today that we'd have the courage to come to you and reason about eternity, the reasonable gospel. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. At the end of each one of our services, we take a few moments to process what we've heard and to respond to it. It does no good for you to hear truth if you don't respond to it. So I wonder, if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm, I believe I'm, I've had my sins forgiven. There's been a time when I've listened to what God said. And I believe in God. I believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I believe because of it, I'm, I'm believing God's promise that I'm forgiven of my sin and have a home reserved in heaven. Would you lift your hands? Say, Preacher, that's me. I testify. That's wonderful. May I lower your hands? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I, I've never done that. Maybe I have. Maybe I, I'm, I'm unsure. Maybe I never have. But if I were to die right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. And I'd like you to pray for me. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you, embarrass you in any way. But I would just like to say a prayer between you, me, and the Lord. Heads are bowed. Would you lift your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm just not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like some prayer. Would you lift your hand, please? Thank you. Anyone else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm just not sure. Thank you. If you're not sure, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know. It's not about joining a church or putting money in the plate or making some commitment to man. It's about you and your relationship with Jesus. We invite you, if you'd 